can always tell him you've played one game. Here's a man who played 63 games, kicked 39 goals through three clubs. His name is Ricky Nixon. He joins me uh, on uh, RSN 927. Hello, Rick. How are you? G'day, Kev. You got, forgot to mention it was 63 great games, though. Oh, do, do, I, do I leave the great out? I'm, I'm, oh, do, whoops. Uh, and it, it, it started back in 1983. You came down from Golden Square. Now, you, you came down with a, a hell of a reputation, but there wasn't much of you. No, look, uh, you know, I mean, I wished I'd played in 2019 sort of thing. I was a, a sort of skinny 69 kilo um, little athlete sort of thing. And uh, in those days, in the 80s, it was all about you know, strength and power and one-on-one contest. And, you know, it's probably summed up by my career. I think I missed over 150 games with injury because um, the body just couldn't cope. How did you find it when you first came down uh, from uh, from Bendigo? Well, you, you you didn't come down on your own. You came down with another bloke, but he, di- he didn't sort of make it at the start, did he? Yeah, some little fat kid, Greg Williams, he's no good, too slow. Yeah, too couldn't slow. Couldn't get the footy sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I kicked four goals. Only bloke to kick four goals on Bruce Stool. <laughs> in my first practice game, <laughs> and that was that was about the start and end of my career. But um, as Greg said it at the Golden Square Hall of Fame, we're from Golden Square and Bendigo. Um, what inspired him after he got knocked back four times? He said, "When your best mate Ricky Nixon gets a game ahead of you, that's an inspiration." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to that fateful day, second of July, nineteen eighty-three. It's at Princess Park. You take on Melbourne in front of nineteen thousand people. Uh, you're making your you're twenty years of age. You make your debut. Was there a big lead-up? Was there a big kind of um, you know? We've seen young blokes like Riley West has been named as an emergency six or seven times before. Before he got uh, before he got picked, was there that kind of build up for you that you're almost there, almost there, almost there, and then you got the chance? Or yeah, absolutely. Like you know, you look back now. I was saying this the other night at Sportsman's Night. The, the teams of the Carltons in the early '80s and Hawthorne later in the '80s, I mean, they had genuine sort of 12 to 15 absolute stars in their teams. And I mean, Carlton won three premierships in four years. Well, I was well, I came there in 1980, but they had won one the year before and two in 81 and '82. Yeah. Um, so I think I'd been emergency something like 11 times, including I was supposed to make my de- debut four weeks before that at Waverley, and it absolutely bucketed down rain. And I'll never forget this. Everyone came down from Benio to watch me play. David Parkin rang me and said, we've decided to leave you out because you're just too skinny and too thin and, and you're going to get battered around. And how's that? Getting left <laughs> out on your de- you've been named on your debut. <laughs> but um, that game was very infamous, I suppose. It was Bruce Stool's 300th. And it was uh, Wayne Harms' 100th or something like that from memory. It was, yeah, it is. Um, And we were expected to probably win, and we didn't. uh, But, you know, you always remember your first game. And played on Robbie Flower. Did pretty well. Kept him to 47 possessions, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Wayne Harms. We had Harms on a couple of weeks back. His statistical breakdown for his first game was one kick. So you've... uh, Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, you've, uh, you've improved on that. You've gone to six kicks, four marks... Three handballs. You had nine possessions, and as you mentioned, you're playing Robbie Flair. Yeah, what did you keep him down to? Forty-seven possessions. Um, yeah, I actually, I think I actually sort of. I don't think he had a huge game from memory, but um, I, I can't. I always remember how much I was shaking just standing next to him. Um, you know, playing the debut game on an absolute legend of the game, and he, he's just one of the real true greats, not only on the field but off the field. And you know, it's, it's a shame we lost him recently. Now that you mentioned the Carlton team being a star-studded lineup, my goodness gracious me, Bazasto, Buckley, Austin, yeah. uh, Duell, as you mentioned, uh, English, yeah. Fitzpatrick, Glascott, uh, Harms, Hunter, Johnson, Madden, it was an unbelievable team. Oh, absolutely, and um, you know it's not hard to see how they won three in four years, and um, even to this day, 
I, I commented the other day about past player functions. You know, I was lucky enough to play at three clubs, Carlton, St Kilda and Hawthorne, but my close mates are still those Carlton mates from the early days because they had so much success. It bonds you together a lot more. And, um, you know, when you're at perhaps not degrading St Kilda, but being at St Kilda, which was a club I very for as a kid, the success isn't there. And so there's not quite the bond with the past players. How well? Who did anyone? Do, I mean, these days mentoring's a really big thing, and and you understand that from uh, from where you went after your playing days, mentoring players. Did anyone take you under their wing in those days, which might have actually been a dangerous thing? Ah, uh, yeah. Look, it, it, that's what Carlton was actually very good at. And I, I, looking back in hindsight, um, I wrote a story a couple of years ago in Inside Football about how. I, I, it took me till I retired to realise what Carlton was great at. And when, the first day I arrived, um, I'll never forget, they said, you have to come to Domini's in Carlton every Friday. It's $10 for lunch um, and you have to come. And I'm like, why do I have to come? Because you need to meet Jeff Southby, you need to meet Mark McClure, you need to meet Jim Bucker, you need to get to know them. And I think they did it socially because they were just successful, but they probably didn't realise they were bonding the whole time. Yeah. And it's interesting that some clubs have copied that a bit the last couple of years. They do a lot of, they play things like go and play Monopoly together and go 10 pin bowling. And, you know, it's not a silly thing. And the history that you get out of that and the, and the fabric, I mean, they talk about the culture of the club, but that's exactly what it was that you were learning uh, in, in the middle of a restaurant in Carlton. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I understand the game's changed and it's much more, it's an athletic event now, but back then you'd, you'd train or you'd go, you'd play Saturday, you'd go to the social club straight after the game, you'd then go out to the Chevron nightclub, you'd finish at three or four in the morning, you'd go to training at eight, then you'd go to the trainers' rooms and have beers all Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and once again, though, it was creating this unbelievable bond where I just feel today's players, it's all about them, 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 individuals, robotic stuff. You know, you just don't see a lot of this. Like you look at social media, it's pictures of them doing something on their own. There's not too many of them in groups of three, four, five, six having lunch or something. Yeah, very true. Hey, then uh, jumper number 48, uh, much sought after, obviously, in your day. <laughs> yeah, it's, am- it's amazing how many people remember I used to wear 48 at um, Carlton. And when I asked them why, you know, was it was it the way I played? Or, no, your hair was like a gollywog. <laughs> 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 it's good to be remembered for something in your footy career, although... Um, the AFL rang me uh, last year. It was quite funny. I said, Ricky, we've got some good and bad news for you. I said, what's, what's the good news? They go, the good news is you might be put in the Hall of Fame. I said, really? I said, yep, you've officially got the longest career for the least amount of games. <laughs> yeah. 11, 11 years for 63 games. Apparently, Luke O'Sullivan played 10 years for 62 games. But um, also, um, uh, McKernan at Essendon was a chance to beat me, but he's played too many games this year. <laughs> Goodness me. Uh, now, you played one game in 83, you played a couple in 84 and one in 85. What kept you, was it, was it that friendship and those blokes that kept you at Carlton uh, in, a, in a time when you weren't getting a game? Uh, well, look, at, yeah, it was. But also, too, was, um, back in those days with zoning and Bendigo was Carlton's zone. And, you yeah. know, I was very lucky. Bendigo was probably the strongest league outside the VFA back in those days. And... Um, uh, all you wanted to do, even though I was a mad St Kilda and, uh, supporter, it was, you just wanted to play for Carlton. That was your ambition. And Greg Williams and I, Greg Barrett Preston, from memory, um, I followed St Kilda. All we wanted to do was play for play for Carlton. And Tony Southdome, who was the, the probably the best country footballer ever, played 12 games at Carlton, would have played 200 if he committed himself but wanted to live in the country. He grabbed us when we were 16. And um, I'll never forget this. He, 
He said, I'm going to make you the two fittest kids in Australia so you play VFL. So he took us out to this very famous One Tree Hill, which is a four-kilometre run up to the top where there's his lookout tower. I ran to the top the first day. It took little fat Greg 28 days to get to the top. <laughs> and uh, I said, well done, mate. Great effort. He goes, Rick, why do you always run to the top? I said, because that's where Tony told us to run to. And he goes, yeah, but you're better than that. And that inspired me the next day to run to the top and nine kilometres around the bush tracks back to my parents' house. And I did that for a year until Carlton signed me up. No wonder you're only 69 kilos. You're more like a Steve Monaghetti. <laughs> you're more like Steve Monaghetti than, you know, sort of Rod Austin. Well, I, I, it's funny you should say that. That was Steve Monaghetti's build is what my build was. And, yeah. you know, it's that sort of skinny, you know, tall athletic type, I uh, suppose. Matthew Richardson type build, I suppose, if you wanted a more modern time player. Um, you mentioned the players. What about the coaching stuff? David Parkin was the coach in 80, uh, 82, 83. What, what, what are your memories of, uh, of what he sort of imparted to you in those days? Oh, look, David was, I reckon, the forerunner to what Alistair Clarkson is today. And I say this to people all the time. Alistair Clarkson's background, and I think he's the greatest coach of all time, is a teaching background. Yep. And 11 of the 15 assistant coaches that have been at Hawthorne have had teaching backgrounds. And I just think the game's changed where... You know, it's, it, it's not a, there's coaching and there's man management and they're two very different things. And David Parkin was the first of his generation. He wasn't the ex-policeman who was shouting, stop there, don't do this, don't do that. It was like, okay, what you need to, he knew that some blokes needed a pat on the bum and others needed a slap on the bum sort of thing. So he, um, he was the first of his generation, very gave, and he used to do things that other coaches didn't do. He'd give you a, a written report on how you played, even in the reserves. Um, and things like that. So, yeah, he's a great coach. I was about to say, if I rang David Parkin right now, he'd be able to go to his uh, his, his fo- folders and and pull out a folder on you and have uh, all the statistical breakdown of every game that he was involved with you. Yeah, absolutely. And the other one who always, I still laugh at this day, because he even commented on something I did on LinkedIn the other day, Kevin, the great Kevin Sheedy. Every time I see him, he goes, number 48, Carlton, <laughs> Swan District in Western Australia, practice game, 1981. 28 kicks you had in the first half. I go, how do you remember that? He goes, that bloody hair. How could I forget it? <laughs> but he remembers number 48 as well. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it is extraordinary. Did you did you kind of think that you'd made it when you played that first game, Rick? Ooh, um, look, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, the thing was I, I actually played that game and then the following week from memory broke my ankle. Um, and then that, that's where it all just continued on. Then the following year, same thing happened. I think I dislocated a shoulder after playing another, the first game the next year or something. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I never never thought at any stage I'd made it apart from that St Kilda when you continuously played each week. So uh, what was the uh, the catalyst to leaving uh, Carlton and going to St Kilda? Oh, basically, the in 1985, it must have been, or four, I can't remember, is uh, I was emergency 13 times. Uh, must have been 84, and, um, you know, it just looked like I was never going to give me a go, and other clubs were approaching me. I, I actually got approached by Collingwood, Geelong, and Essendon, and trained at the whole three. Okay. But Carlton, Carlton wouldn't clear me, and they deliberately cleared about six players over two years to St Kilda, because St Kilda had won four wooden spoons in a row. So <laughs> Carlton saw it that we're not going to let go of a gun kid from Bendigo, and let him hurt us at Collingwood or Essendon, we'll clear him to St Kilda and he won't hurt us there. Is, so, that where you, um, is, is St Kilda where you played your best footy? 
Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Um, although I always say when, I'm, when I've had the odd lunch with Wayne Carey and uh, Gary Ablett Senior, the two greatest players of all time in my view, is there's only one of the three of us that's got a 100% strike rate of goals kicked in a final, in all finals played, and that's me. <laughs> kicked, one, kicked a goal in two finals I've played in, and both of them have been held goalless in a final. So there you go. When uh, when was it during your footy career that uh, that, that that you sort of uh, thought, okay, I'm 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 going to make my mark in this game off the field, not necessarily on the field. Uh, well, yeah, I get asked that a lot, and how did it come about, and everything else. But it was just um, I was the short version of twenty seconds is I was a phys ed teacher at Kerry Grammar, and David Parkin got me that job, um, and I was very, you know that's one of the reasons I still think that David's great. And um, Michelle Baumgartner was a former Commonwealth Games Olympian, whatever. Um, she kept coming to work every day, every Monday saying, oh, this guy's going to get me a Mercedes-Benz and I've got this deal here. And then a week later, it wouldn't happen. I'd go, it can't be that hard. I think I'll give this a crack myself. And there was a guy playing basketball in America who I thought went okay. His name was Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. And and uh, this kid bobbed up at North Melbourne called Wayne Carey. And I thought, hmm, I reckon he could be the Michael Jordan of Australia. So I got that one right, didn't I? Yeah, he certainly did, as we saw on the weekend, named as the number one North Melbourne player of yeah. all time. And yeah, Wayne, 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 Jack, Wayne was quite emotional about that too. And I think it, I think it was, a, you know, I wasn't there, but I've, I've read and seen it on TV. It looked to me like it, it binded the club back a lot after the trauma of, you know, now nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. Got to ask you, modern footy, do you like watching uh, the 2019 version of the AFL or not? Look, there's games that I, when I say, I haven't been, I've been to one game this year, but I, I do watch a bit of it on TV. I just can't stand this. Handballing backwards, you know, flick, flick, flick out, pressure, pressure, pressure. Kick. They've got to stop it. The rule they have to change is kicking backwards has to be play on. Um, everyone agrees with me. And that way you're going to attack more down through the middle and score. It's interesting the teams that actually are the most in form right now are the ones that are scoring. And why, why coaches continue to, you know, want to put this pressure game on and keep the scores to 40 points or something, that's not good for young kids to watch. They want excitement. That's why a lot of kids are turning to basketball. Now, you mentioned Wayne Kerry, who's obviously one of the greats of the game, and you mentioned Gary Ablett, another one of the greats of the game. Have you seen anyone running around at the moment uh, in, in what you've seen that could be one of the greats of the game? Is it, is it Paddy Cripps on the on the uh, Pelly, yeah. one of those? Oh, definitely Cripps for me. I mean, I picked him at the start of the year to win the Brownlow, and I won't be too far away, I don't think. Yeah. Um, Look, I did also predict in October last year during the trade period that a kid called Sam Walsh will be the best kid drafted in the last 10 years. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to be too far wrong on that one. Um, Jager O'Meara was a player that stood out for me also seven or eight years ago prior to the draft. And it's just a shame he's had a lot of injuries, but I think he's showing the fans now what he's capable of. And when Tom Mitchell comes back into that team next year, it'll be pretty good. But yeah, the other young players running around... Um, I like Lockie O'Neill. I think he's brought a, you know, Brisbane have got some good young talent coming through. And Chris Fagan, he's one of the reasons Alistair Clarkson is what he is today. Yep. And guess what Chris Fagan's background was teaching. So he, he, he coached the coaches at Hawthorne. I think he's great. Um, but no, I think, I think it's a very unpredictable. I know the AFL would like that, but call me stupid, but it wouldn't surprise me if Port Adelaide won the flag this year uh-huh. uh, because they suddenly get a kick on after winning by 10 goals on the weekend. I suddenly get a kick out. And your mom, I predict they were the biggest outsider, dark horse, that could make the finals and cause a few problems. I don't think they can win the flag, but they're certainly capable of beating the bottom four teams in the eight. Yeah.
Hey, the uh, the AFL bubble and lots talked about player welfare and and in in your your business career that you that you had with Flying Start and uh, the the players that you managed, you had to look after players. Is there is this is there a hole in the in the player welfare gap that needs to be filled so as we don't have some of these uh, you know fine young men falling into uh, into all sorts of different areas? Yeah, look, the biggest single problem, and it's not only in AFL football, it's in the world generally, is social media. You know. The time has come. I've been on about this for nearly eight years, I reckon. And the government has to stand up and legislate that social media accounts have to have ID attached to them in Australia. If you don't have ID, you can't have a social media account. If you want to hate on someone, which is causing all these problems with players with mental health. I was with a superstar of the game who's retired recently, um, oh, probably four weeks ago. And what he told me, I was just in total shock. He said they were threatening to kill his son, who was four years old stuff like that. They were sending abusive stuff to his um, wife to, and then his mum and dad retaliated to some of the haters and of course that just fired them up. It's yeah. like, this has got to stop, you know, and um, you know, I don't think anyone ever dreamt in their wildest dreams when a guy in the US created a, a an internet platform to chat up girls at university you'd, we'd ever have this situation, would we? Yeah, no, so, you're, you're 100% right. I think the welfare of the players, uh, it is changing. Ben Brown, I spoke at the A Football Club with the North Melbourne full forward, and he spoke very, very maturely about how he handles social media, and that is you only read the people that really influence your life. You don't read into anything else, and if you start to do that, then you're going to get hooked in just, just going down that path. I thought he was – I think they're doing, they're doing a lot more training now. They have people come out to the clubs, and I know the Players Association is working with other sporting bodies around the world, and in fact, I had, I better not say too much here, but had someone to come and see me last week who's shown me an, a social media platform that he's invented that he's gone to the AFL with and clubs and everyone loves it. And it's almost like a private social media. Yep. And um, it's for you to comment, you have to pay to comment, like $1 sort of thing. Um, and they're going to encourage sports people to join that rather than uh, be subject to what they're subject to at the moment. And uh, yourself, you're going to write at the moment, Rick? Yeah, look, I am. I'm probably the best shape I've been in. My shoulder hasn't dislocated for six months. So, <laughs> um, but I just started this new mobile health business. I convert ambulances into mobile health vans. Yep. In fact, one's just sitting out the front that I'm staring at in Bay Street, Port Melbourne here. Uh, we go out to businesses and, um, and conduct health checks and mental health checks. So you basically don't have an excuse anymore, particularly men. If you uh, say, oh, I'll get a health check, I'll go to the doctor next week, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it the week after, oh, it's too far to go, oh, I can't be bothered waiting an hour and a half to see the doctor. You step out, it takes 30 minutes, you get a report within 48 hours, um, includes pathology so we can detect any irregularities, i.e. potential cancer, etc. So this has been inspired, I say that word in the right manner, by um, a couple of people um, in my life, Clinton Drivers who passed away at 32. Yeah. Um, and also lately, Mark Allen's been terrific to me. Um, you know, this guy's going through hell, professional golfer, yep. diagnosed with advanced cancer at Christmas. And, you know, he wants to get out there with me and encourage young people that it's never too early to have a health check. Yeah, no, um, very, and, you know, the cost, the cost of having a health check is exactly what it would cost you to go out one night on the weekend and drink booze and have a big dinner or something like that. So, you know, for the sake of your health, you've got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you, mate. Uh, great to catch oh. up. A long way from uh, the 2nd of July, 1983, round number 15, <laughs> when you made your debut. But uh, good to catch up. Thanks for your time. Good on you, Kev. You're a superstar. See you, mate. If the house is rocking, don't...